Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 57. Hi, everyone. It's so great to be back with you again this week for another episode of the Healing Catalyst podcast. And to all my friends here in the United States, I hope that you had a lovely holiday weekend and found some time to rest, relax, and connect with your family and friends. Right before the holiday weekend, I was actually at a mastermind retreat with a dozen other powerhouse women who are doing the most amazing work in the world. It was not only so inspiring to be with each of them, but so incredibly energizing. It was four days of visioning for each other, connecting with each other and supporting each other. And it was a really powerful reminder that your mindset is so, so important when you set your compass toward any goal or outcome, whether it's achieving a financial goal, becoming a thought leader in your field, having an impact on your community, taking care of your family, or healing yourself. Mindset is absolutely crucial. And so this month, in the month of July, we turn our intention to mindset as medicine. Every week, we'll explore a different mindset, what it means, and how to nurture it. So this week, we dive into an empathy mindset with my guest, Pyle Berry. Pyle is the founder of RK Empathy and also a clinical psychologist and PhD candidate in organizational psychology with over 10 years of experience developing global leadership programs for Fortune 500 companies, including Groupon, Google, Boeing, Betterment, and McDonald's. She's also a mindset coach, speaker, and facilitator for highly driven entrepreneurs and professional leaders with a focus on how empathy creates psychologically safe cultures that allow upward accountability. She also supports growth scale startup companies such as Blend Labs Inc., Betterment, and Avalara as a strategic leadership development partner. In our conversation, Pyle shares how empathy has weaved the narrative of her personal and professional journey. We also discuss the important difference between empathy for others and empathy for self, the three types of empathy, and how to embody each of them. You know, Pyle really helped me understand how an empathy mindset starts with self-compassion and self-awareness, which I have to tell you, as a health professional and someone who is always taking care of others, took me a little time to wrap my head around. Pyle also shares powerful ways to develop and strengthen an empathy mindset, which she has seen transform hundreds of clients and leaders that she's worked with. Get ready for an incredible conversation with Pyle Berry about the empathy mindset as medicine. Hi, Pyle. How are you? Hi, Venti. Good. How are you? I'm good. So, Pyle, it is so great to finally have you on my podcast. I know we've been talking about this for like two years to make <laughs> this happen. And so I'm just so thrilled that you're here because you've become a really dear friend and your work is so important. So I'm just so excited to have you. Thank you for joining me. 
Oh my God. Are you kidding me? When you said it, I was like, I felt like I was being asked by a celebrity to be on something (laughs) with them. So definitely, I mean, I was, you know, so much respect for you and for what you do. And so thank you for pulling me into your wonderful world. Oh, no, thank you. So, you know, I'm so excited to talk to you. You know, you have so much expertise in psychology, in organizational psychology. You are a clinical psychologist by training. You've been in HR for years and been doing corporate leadership. And now you're just about to defend your dissertation and get your PhD in organizational psychology, which is so incredibly exciting. And your focus of your research is in empathy. And that's actually your specialty in the work that you do in the world. And so I thought that it would be really great, you know, this month as we're talking about this idea of mindset as medicine and how your mindset and different types of mindsets can really support your health. I thought who else but Pyle to talk about empathy and an empathy mindset. So let's just dive in. And, you know, the first thing I really like to know is how did you decide on empathy as your subject? I mean, there's so many things you can study in organizational psychology and why empathy? Yeah. You know, you would think like, first it's like, oh, well, you know, there's, there's retention, there's this, there's that. And to me, I think it's just about being human. And a lot of it really, it just starts with my childhood. And I think that, you know, if you ask anyone what they do, who are passionate about what they do, you can always tie it back to their experiences of growing up, something that happened in their family. And it's nothing different for me. And so being of someone who I'm not a military family, but we did move around a lot. And so I grew up, I consider myself a third culture kid. I'm South Asian, Indian, but then I grew up in Egypt and Iraq and Australia. And, you know, my welcome to America was Queens, New York. And as an Indian kid, your family doesn't really tell you and they don't sit you down and say, well, we're going to move and this is what's going to happen. They just take you and you just figure it out. And so being that, and then being an Indian girl, who's also very chatty and very mm-hmm. opinionated and, you know, something I would hear over and over again from my family. And my mom would be like, I wish I had a girl, like, I wish I had, you know, someone, because I would just challenge everything. And so, which I so love about you. Thank you. <laughs> and so as we moved around and like, you know, I did second grade in three different cities, states, you know, in, um, in Florida and Jersey and in New York. And then I did, sorry, that was second grade. Third grade was Australia. And so moving around so much, it became a natural part of life where you've got to learn how to connect with people. You've got to learn how to connect with someone who's from a completely different culture. And, you know, one of the things that I very quickly picked up was that a kid is a kid anywhere you go. It didn't matter if I was growing up in Egypt, if I was visiting cousins in India or in Queens, New York, every kid wants to feel loved. Every kid wants a sense of belonging and every kid wants candy. So (laughs) when you can find a way to connect, that really led me to my path of knowing how to be have empathy for others, right? And connecting with them, mirroring the way that they are so that I would also feel accepted. And as I got older, one of the things that fascinated me was just that, you know, with the challenges that were happening in our family and anywhere, is that how two people who can grow up in the same family can have such different experiences. 
And then how two people who have nothing to do with each other can actually relate so closely together. And that right there is really empathy. And that led me into clinical psychology. And really it was that my focus was actually severe psychosis. So I worked with patients that were geriatric, uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, borderline, and I don't have any of that. And I was a 20 something year old, but what I was able to connect with them on was simply the fact of like them having their previous memories from before they had that illness and how they just cared about love. And so when you can really look at humans as everyone has the basic fundamental emotions that they're all looking to connect on, happiness, joy, sadness, that's where you build that empathy. And that's kind of what led me into this world of like really understanding how people connect. Yeah. I love that you said that. I mean, I think so many people in so many industries have the story of something from childhood growing up led them to where they are. But I think it's especially true in the health professions. We're so incredibly influenced by experiences that we have, and maybe it's our personality types of wanting to help others. And so we tap into that. And then it somehow at some point becomes so much a part of our focus and what we do. And so I'm sure this whole idea of relating to people, I mean, that's so much of what a psychologist does. Like you really have to understand how to relate to people. So here's what's really interesting to me, because I know we've talked about empathy and because this is your research many times in our personal conversations. And you've told me a little bit about sort of the difference between empathy for others, which is what you kind of just described, which I think, again, so many of us try to really aspire to have. And those of us who go into the health professions, that's one of the things that's probably a very strong trait that we have. And that's why we choose those fields, right? So empathy for others is one thing, but then you always talk about this idea of empathy for self. So let's get into that difference. Yeah. So I'll start with a story. Actually, I was talking to a really good friend of mine and she was telling me how she doesn't believe that empathy really exists. She thinks it's complete BS and that it's a made up thing. It's a myth. And I got Hmm. curious because obviously that's my research. Right. And, um, you know, I asked her, I'm like, well, share with me, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? You know, tell me more. And her thing was that she was having a very hard time, um, understanding or accepting the way that her brother and sister grew up in their family because it was so different from hers. And so she was having a hard time having empathy for them because her experience was so different. And so what, from there, we just kept talking. And what really it was is that she lacked having compassion for herself. She was holding on to a narrative that was creating these walls around her. And the thing is that when you don't have compassion for yourself, when you don't have empathy for yourself and you're stuck in the space of, you know, defending the story that you have, um, you're having issues with trust, you're not able to get out of your own space then it is going to be really hard to have empathy for anyone else because there's still this resentment brewing. There's this baggage you're carrying and you're not able to separate yourself from what other people's experiences are and believe those as well. So without having that compassion for self, without understanding yourself and really being true with it and being, you know, really seeing you for who you are, it's, Anytime anyone is sharing anything about themselves, you will bring it back to you. So to have true empathy for others, you need to first be in a place of acceptance with yourself. 
And when you don't have that acceptance, then everything else will again, feel like it's personalized towards you. Okay. So this is actually, I'm going to challenge you a little here because this is a hard one for me, right? Because I don't know that I necessarily, when I first started in my medical training, had any awareness of myself. I mean, I'm sure I did a little bit, but I mean, compared to where I am now at the age of 51 versus where I was at the age of 25, when I was in my training, right? That awareness of having empathy, as you would say, or compassion for self, I would say that at that time, I would say that I was very empathic and I I had a lot of empathy for all of the patients that I was seeing and all the, you know, everything that I was learning, I was so in a place of empathy for others. Yeah. So that's like a disconnect for me because how could I be having empathy for all these people? Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, not, it's not truly empathy. So the thing is that, you know, again, we're taking in multiple situations or variables here, right? One, you're, you decided to be a doctor. You're going into the healing industry. Second, you're a South Asian woman who was probably from a young age, nurtured and ingrained to, you put yourself last, you put people forward, right? So all of that creates a dialogue. It creates a narrative that everyone else, I have to be here for everybody else. So you aren't having any empathy for yourself, but what happens is that you are now um, completely, you're not dealing with your own things and you're displacing it with everyone else's. And so even as a clinical therapist, you know, there's always, there's a joke in clinical therapy that a clinical therapist is typically serving their population for them to figure themselves out. And once they have figured themselves out, then they're like, okay, I'm going to leave the field. I'm good. Yes. And so what happens is that, you know, the story that I shared is about someone who may have mistrust and distrust, right? With someone who is excessively giving more of themselves is that they are displacing anything that they're dealing with. And then at some point it's going to catch up and it's going to create resentment. It's going to create that same level of mistrust. It's going to be exhausting burnout. All of that will show up because you've been trained to think that it's selfish to give compassion to yourself. Okay. I got it. That's exactly where I landed. (laughs) That's pretty much my story. (laughs) You know, this whole idea of always giving to everybody else and never giving to myself. So you're saying that when you understand that empathy for others first starts with empathy for self. So healthy empathy for others starts with Mm. empathy with yourself, right? So we can give and give and give, but then in order to make sure that we don't overdo it, with others, then we're bringing it back to ourselves so we can have those boundaries. We can set those, you know, and one thing I always talk about is this conversation about ego and uh, this conversation that, you know, people, and I always joke around and say that the marketing department has done a great job with labeling ego as bad. (laughs) And I just think that, you know, that's not, that's not true. Ego is actually really good. We want ego. We just don't want only ego. And so it's the same thing is that the reason that your ego even exists. And like, if you look at a job description and you're like, I'm going to apply to be an ego, what is that? It's (laughs) essentially the ego is, um, protecting you from any kind of pain, any kind of discomfort, uncomfort. Right. And so it doesn't know the difference between bad or good. It just knows that it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And what else is uncomfortable and painful? Self-awareness. It's, that is something 
that is uncomfortable because, and it's painful because you're having to accept yourself in a way. So it's easier to continue to be there for everyone else and to continue to keep going until your ego has now created this space where there's no room for entry of self-awareness. And then it again, catches up with you. So that's where I say that when you're able to let your ego know and have a partnership with your ego and say, Hey, ego, go take your lunch break. I actually need to deal with this. (laughs) And you can have a moment of, okay, this is feedback that I do need to accept. This is something that I realize that if I really want to have empathy for other people, and if I really want to be present with them, mm-hmm. then it's going to be really important for me to acknowledge what is hard and challenging. Because what happens is that as empaths, you put yourself over and over in situations where someone may be like, are you a masochist? Because you're thinking that, you know, you went through something that was traumatic and you feel that it's necessary for me to help this person out who's gone through the same thing, but I have not yet dealt with that. So I may be able to show up for them, but then I'm going home and eating poorly. I'm not working out. Um, I'm compensating with maybe drinking, you know, my five o'clock drinks every night, but I'll do anything to not deal with it because we have assigned our ego to be on 24 seven and not actually allow it to say, Hey, you know what? This is something that's important. If I want to be there and have healthy empathy for others, then I need to be and have health and healthy ego that allows me to deal with this pain that I'm going through. Okay. So much to unpack there. Like when you said that whole thing about, you know, your ego is designed to protect you against pain and what is the most painful thing, but self-awareness. I'm like, shit, that's so true. (laughs) Like, I mean, right there, that's the nugget from this whole episode. I'm sure like your ego is protecting you from anything painful and what's more painful than being (laughs) self-aware. Absolutely. Right. Pretty much nothing. That's why like people would rather, you know, like they say, right. Ignorance is bliss. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So that's fascinating. Are there different types of empathy? I mean, okay. Empathy for others, empathy for self. Is there different ways to like think about empathy? I'm sure you as an empathy researcher have like dissected this to the nth degree. So, you know, it's interesting. So there are three different types of empathy in terms of the way you can tap into it, but there's also three kinds of empathy that light up your brain. Okay. So So there has been research that shows, you know, in your prefrontal cortex, where your um, ability to have the taste difference and your ability to have the uh, emotions of sad, joy, everything that you feel, well, that gets developed first in your early stage of childhood. But then later you actually have, and it signals which part of your brain is going to light up depending on what's happening. So a lot of times people think that Empathy is when someone is going through something challenging. And so how do you bring your empathy on in order to like support them? Well, it actually shows in research and it's really recent has shown that there's also empathic cheerfulness and empathic happiness. So empathic cheerfulness gets lit up when there's someone that you need to get, you know, bring back out of their sorrow and you're getting them happy. Um, Empathic happiness is where you actually feel someone's joy so much that you actually, it starts marrying in your brain and you believe that it's your joy. So if there's been a moment, for example, where someone has celebrated something of your, like you, you mentioned something and you are excited about it. 
And then let's just say, I'm like, oh my God. And I start clapping and then you start clapping and you're like, why am I clapping? And it's just like, because we're mirroring each other. That's that empathic happiness that actually gets lit up in our left side of our prefrontal cortex brain in our brain. So that's something where, when you are, you know, what I think is really important about that is to show that empathy isn't just a soft woo-woo thing that, you know, we're just bringing up, but there's actual research has shown that, um, when a sociopath or a psychopath has been put in a training where it's like, can you try to have empathy for someone? Because that's the whole definition of someone who's sociopathic. They have zero empathy, Mm -hmm. but when they can get put into situations where they have to feel someone else's happiness, they actually come to baseline empathy levels of normal humans that already have that level. Right. And so you're saying this is from actual brain activity that they're measuring and seeing what area of the brain is lighting up. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I get that. What you're saying is that, you know, empathy isn't this like soft, like sort of woo woo thing that people say, oh, you should be empathic. You should have empathy. You should have sympathy, like all those things that, that it's actually a real phenomenon that's going on in your brain and that Mm -hmm. you can actually get activated into empathic happiness. Yep by mirroring somebody else. Exactly. Okay. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, and it's something that's been just very recent in the last five years that they've done more research around this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the reason I bring this up is also to that people who tend to be highly empathic, sometimes they get frustrated because they go overboard and then they don't realize the repercussions of what they said they impulsively committed to because they were just in this place of, empathic happiness, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happens is that because your brain is mirroring it, you can sometimes, especially in leadership, be put in positions and situations where, for example, you're having a challenging conversation, you're having a difficult conversation. Someone is, you know, in a really bad state. And so you start mirroring that and you start thinking it's yours. And then you start impulsively making decisions that you don't realize the consequences it may have on the rest of the team. So when you can become aware, it's kind of the same thing as when you go into um, a doctor's office and you finally get like diagnosed with something. You're like, oh, finally, I have an explanation. So in that same way, there's three types of empathy that exist so that you can actually tap into it and recognize what's happening with you and um, approach it in the right way. So there's cognitive empathy, emotional empathy, and compassionate empathy. Okay. So cognitive empathy is when you intellectualize someone else's feelings. So you're not necessarily feeling it. You're not in that mirroring stage yet. You can understand and recognize that this person is sad and you under, you, you, it makes sense to you, but you're not emotionally feeling it yourself. Emotional empathy is where the mirroring starts. And that's where, you know, if you say, you know, let's say, let's just say that someone had like, um, a loss in their family, you know? And so you actually can feel the pain of that. Someone lost Mm -hmm. their job. You can feel the pain of that. Compassionate empathy is where you feel compelled to now do something about it. So you understand it, you're emotionally feeling it and you're compelled. So think about all those puppy commercials, orphanage commercials, you know, politicians use this really well in order to get you to pick up the phone and donate, right? right? That's compassionate empathy. So when like with the clients that I work with who are highly empathic and they are always having empathy for others. What they struggle with is they feel that because I have so much empathy, I'm not a great leader. And I say, no, that's not true. Empathy is 
great thing, but you have to learn to realize and tap into which one you need at what point. So you can be aware of when you're going into something. So if you're going to have a negotiation, if you're going to have something, a challenge that, you know, a conflict of some sort, having cognitive empathy, where you can say things like, I understand that you're feeling this way. It helps your brain recognize and not go into the mirroring stage so that you're able to stay very um, intentional about the conversation you're having, but you're still using language to have empathy. If you have emotional empathy, then that's really great when you're mentoring somebody, when you want to, uh, when you're having a conversation with someone who may feel frustrated, they're not sure about what they can do. Maybe they failed something, you know, it could be at your kids, your husband, wife, whoever, right? Your friend. And you want to cheer them up that empathy, empathic cheerfulness that happens. That's where, you know, again, you feel what they're feeling, but then by using language of saying that, you know, I can understand how you feel so sad. I've been there before. This is something you share an experience. Compassionate empathy is when someone, let's just say, um, lost their father or lost a you know significant other and they need time off from work, things need to happen. That's where you step into compassion, empathy, and being able to say that, hey, you know what? I'm so sorry you're feeling this way. And you know, one thing that I also tell people is that when you're thinking about empathy, a lot of times people think that empathy means that I, you know, well, how am I going to understand what they've gone through? I've never lost a parent. I don't know. Right. That may be different, but have you ever felt grief? Have you ever felt sadness? So I always tell people tap into the feeling, the feeling. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this. So these are great examples because again, I think so many of us, when we think about an empathy mindset, we're thinking about how we're putting it out to others. Now let's turn the mirror towards ourselves. How do you apply the identification of these three types of empathy for yourself? to sort of have that discussion almost like with yourself rather than with the other person. Can we talk yeah. about that? So this is where you got to tell your ego, go take a lunch break, maybe take a one week vacation even because it's painful. And it's about really first taking those baby steps. Um, I can share my own example of, you know, when I, I got diagnosed with hypothyroid when I was 17. Mm. And I didn't know what that, like, I didn't understand it. You know, I was ditching classes to sleep in my car, like not to do anything cool, but literally just to sleep in my car. And, um, 15, 14 hours, you know, I gained a lot of weight. A lot of things were happening. My dreams to go to like Harvard were like completely cut. And I went to a community college and transferred. Um, and I became a victim of, this illness. I became that this is done to me. And so there came a point where I realized that, you know, we have two choices in a narrative. Either I can continue to play victim to what is happening, or I can decide to create a narrative and take power back over how I'm going to let this be. So instead of being that I am and someone who has hypothyroid, you know, it was really looking at it as like hypothyroid exists. And that's something that I have a challenge with, you right. know, it's so not it me. It's not me. It's not my identity. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things is shifting your identity. It's being able to sit down and 
really writing out, and I think I'd really encourage everyone to do this, is that, you know, we suppress so much of how we really think of ourselves. It's automatically going in our brains, but we're not acknowledging it. And so writing it all down of every narrative that you've heard about yourself since you're growing up, you know, like I've been told I'm, you know, I talk too much, I'm too loud, I'm lazy, you know, all of these things. And I took those on as my identity. And I took those on as saying that, yeah, I am lazy. That's why this is not going to happen. So then I wouldn't even bother trying with something. And when I wrote all of the things down, the worst things that someone could probably say to you and that you probably think about yourself. And I wrote every single thing down and started bawling and crying and reading it. And I read it to myself in the mirror. Ooh. Oh yeah. (laughs) I went there. And it took time. It took time, right? It wasn't just like I wrote it down and went to the mirror, but like I wrote it down. I continued writing it down, took about like, it was a few days of this. And then I went to the mirror and I read it to myself. And then I had this sense of relief because it was like, now it's out there. I said it all. There's nothing else that can be said about me in a way that I haven't already put out there. And now I can look at this and start to reframe this one sentence at a time, one piece at a time, starting to shift my relationship with who I am, starting to look at success differently, which is something that I've recently been doing. You know, this change of conversation about what is success like? And to me now, I change it from this monetary number from where my business is going to be. And now I look at it as an everyday, what, what happened today where I added value? What happened today that gave my, me peace of mind where my body felt like it was actually feeling a little normal today. And that doing that on a continuous daily, you know, exercise really shifts the way that you see yourself. And then you start to actually acknowledge the value that you have, you start to acknowledge um, the the impact that you're making in your own life. And you start to filter out energies of people that were essentially um, validating an old narrative that no longer belongs to you. Right. So what you're saying is that that very powerful exercise of writing and then moving to the mirror was actually how you shifted your identity Mm-hmm. from that victimhood to a new one, but it was through empathy for self. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It was through that development of having compassion for self. I've asked clients of mine, tell me something that you love about yourself. And there's crickets chirping for five minutes. Yeah. Because they can acknowledge and they'll say, I'm like, well, you're a really great artist. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. No, I need you to say that, you know, like the art that I create comes from a place of love. I have a lot of love flowing in me. And when they say that they start crying Mm -hmm. because it's the first time that it's, it's finding that internal acceptance versus having someone else validate that for you. Right. Right. Wow. That's powerful. So that's really the shift of having an empathy mindset starts from within is really what you're saying, right? Is that it, it starts like a true empathy mindset that is so powerful in supporting your health because it supports everything you're doing in the world and how you show up and how you feel about your body and your mind or your illnesses, right? Sort of the story you told us is that it starts with this 
awareness of self, shifting your identity, and then having compassion for self. Then, so that's really that empathy for self. And then you can mirror it out into the world much more authentically in a way that doesn't burn you out eventually. Yeah. Because the thing is that when you can have empathy for yourself and you're giving that compassion, you're building that narrative, that identity internally of who you are, how, how, like, if you say that, like, you know, I'm a creative, well, how does that manifest in your behaviors? How does that show up the way that you um, engage with other people? No one can take that part away from you because that's your identity. But the thing is that when we don't start with having that empathy for ourselves and we don't, you know, I call it like, you know, mental fitness, right? Empathy fitness. And so when you don't start with that, it's very easy for, again, I'll give you another story where a former boss of mine, one of my last bosses before I left the corporate world was very critical. And had a, she believed she had a growth mindset, but her growth mindset meant, well, we don't need to talk about what you're good at. We just need to talk, look at constantly what you're not good at, right? And it got to a place where I had this full confidence and bite like subtle, subtle, subtle over the course of 18 months, I didn't recognize who I was. And it was this corporate trauma I went through, everything. But when you have a relationship with yourself and you can see that what she's saying or what whoever anyone is saying to you, that is not an identity I'm gonna take on for myself and absorb it. I can actually know the difference between, you know what? Her saying that to me is really just, she's on her journey in her life about where she's having internal conflict with accepting herself. And you can flip that. Then you can recognize that this is not about you. This is a projection about them. That's where, when you have that internal empathy for yourself, that compassion for yourself, you're able to distinguish it. And you're able to then, in a way, have empathy for someone that you may not even like. Oh, yeah, I get it. I have to say this, you know, this whole conversation is challenging for me because I understand it intellectually, but I'm still trying to connect it to my heart of really understanding how my empathy for self is so critical first before. I can really have true empathy for others. And again, we can intellectualize it and say, you know, you have to love yourself first before you can love others. And yes, that's all true. But this is, it's a little different than love to me. For whatever reason, empathy is just like this ability to connect with others on such a feeling level and quite literally tap into the feeling that they're having. And so it is a hard one. So how do you develop this empathy mindset? Like, I mean, you told us one of the exercises, but really how do you stay in that place where if you really want to build your empathy muscle for others in the world, how do you start building that empathy mindset and muscle for yourself? Well, let me ask you this. Like when you are thinking about the challenges that you've gone through in your life, right? And you're thinking about, you know, when like it's easy for you to be there for your patient because again, it's external. So it's something where it's, it's not mine, it's theirs. But then when you're bringing it home with you and it's turning into then a tense conversation with your husband, it turns into a frustration with your kid, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is where if you don't have that compassion for yourself to give yourself that time to recognize what's happening internally, that self-awareness about it, then it's going to seep into your life in a way where you've now 
made your whole life about everybody else and you've lost yourself. And so you're going to get to a point where you're just like, who am I? Yeah. So what you're really saying right now is that this whole idea of an empathy mindset actually has nothing to do with others. It has everything to do with you. Yeah. It's really about having it for yourself. And then it trickles out and we've got it in a way, kind of all wrong (laughs) in some ways, right? Because we're taught, especially as South Asian women, have empathy for others, do for others to the point where you are so exhausted, right? And it's actually, we're being taught it backwards. Absolutely. Because the thing is that if we have to put constantly put everyone first and you're exhausted and you haven't fueled yourself, you haven't nourished yourself, that at some point, you're not going to, you're not doing things out of want and desire. You're doing things out of mandatory. And because I have to like an obligation, an obligation, you know, if we think about even, you know, just taking back to like in India and people living in joint families and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this constant, like you are, you, you're there as a unit, you're there. And, you know, I've noticed that when I go to India now, and it could also just be the, the vast amount of the population increase, but the value of caring for others, the empathy for others is actually kind of lost. It's not there as much as it used to be. And I take that for the fact that when we spend so much time always having to think about others and we're always in that place, at some point you're going to break. And that's where then the stigma of mental health comes in, that you're not allowed to take care of yourself. You always have to be strong. You know, the whole concept of don't cry, you're strong, don't cry, stop crying. Well, if we're not allowing ourselves to actually like emote, then again, we're, we're displacing ourselves from being able to, again, and when I say that the whole empathy for others and why it's so important to have empathy for yourself, it's really thinking about it from a place where if you want to truly be present with someone, and I don't mean just simply like, oh my God, I care about you. I want to be there for you. Like, wow, that's sad. You know, I feel that. But if you want to be there in their world and you want to be there where you're able to, again, not make it about yourself to some degree, where you start having those conversations where it turns into you now reflecting about your own life. You're starting to take in and absorb it to the point where you're in full exhaustion mode, then you're not actually being there for someone else. You're still making it about you. And that's what I keep coming back to is that, you know, unless you have that empathy for yourself, unless you build that resilience within your internal self, your own identity, if you're in a meeting, if you're having a conversation, if your partner comes to you and they're feeling challenged with something and you're exhausted, you're going to suddenly turn it about you and be like, I can't believe you brought this up with me right now. And you're doing this and whatever not. And you feel this obligation of having to be there for them, but then feeling like no one's there for me. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It took me 45 minutes to understand (laughs) what you're talking about. And we've talked about this before, but I think it's like really honing in on this real, like very specific point of empathy for self versus empathy for others and the empathy mindset, right? Absolutely. And I think that just even that statement of like, you know, how is it connected? I think that's where, again, society's done such a great (laughs) job in ingraining it to women that you are not supposed to care about yourself, Mm -hmm. that you are here as an object, you are here as a resource tool for us. 
you're here for everything else except for the fact that you are also a human who has to deal with their own issues. And that's where then we do see people with fragile egos and who are incredibly sensitive and who, or, you know, go on the other complete path where they don't develop a healthy ego. So they become doormats mm-hmm. and, and that gets celebrated. You know, if we look at our society and the way that we think about things, it's that, you know, if you're a yes person, you know, go with things, you're not going to challenge the status quo. Well, we want those people around. Well, what that means is that we're saying is that we want people around who are not taking care of themselves because it helps us and that creates a more selfish society. Right. Mic drop. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know that I could have said it better. I mean, it really comes down to that is developing an empathy mindset for yourself. That self-awareness leads to greater empathy with others. Just being kind. I always say like, it's not rocket science. It really isn't, you know, when we talk about empathy, and I think this is the other part that's really hard is that when you are an intellectual, you feel like it has to be a lot more complicated than it is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, it really just means be nice to yourself, be kind to yourself. It just means that, you know, take back the power of all of those. Like we look at media, what we grew up with, right? We look at um, the way that commercials are played, the roles and characters of people on TV shows that we watched all of that informs the way that we see ourselves. And so when you can start to really ask yourself, like, do I really relate to that? Or is that something that I believe in because I've been told that? And you can start having those conversations with yourself, reflecting on that. So whenever you have a question of like, well, do you really believe in, you know, living together, you know, or uh, marriage? And you're ingrained to think, well, I'm Indian. I, of course I believe in marriage. Of course I'm going to have kids. And then you are like, well, do I, is that really it? Or is it that that's the narrative I've been fed? And now that if I don't do that, I'm now not good enough. I'm now an outlier. I'm the misfit. Mm -hmm. And that's that story, that power of that story that we all hold within ourselves. That's the empathy for ourselves. That's where it starts. So then when we can start looking at that narrative, that's why I really focus on that, that lens and that identity of who you are versus what you've been told. That's the first step you can take for yourself to have empathy for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so what's an exercise or what's something that we can do? And you've kind of given some specifics, but I think it's always easier with concepts like this to really make it, you know, super practical of like, okay, so I wake up, and I'm, I know that I need to develop this empathy for myself. I'm, I have this awareness that I'm always doing everything for everyone else, you know, that there's these narratives going on. So like, what do I do then? Yeah. So I would say one simple activity that you can do is sit with yourself at the end of the evening and ask yourself, what brings you joy? What truly brings you happiness? What brings you joy? And then look at your day and look at, you know, what did I participate in that actually like I could feel my energy in being drained versus my energy being, you know, excited and fueled. And the more you start tapping into that and recognizing like, am I saying yes to this because I feel obligated or am I saying yes to this because I'm supposed to? That those are those subtle things. When you start paying attention to your body movements, the energy that's happening where you're feeling depleted, those things can help shift the way that you start setting those boundaries around yourself and start to identify that this was the narrative that, you know, 
I went with, but it doesn't actually feel right to me. Mm -hmm. So just uh, every evening, just sit with yourself and be like, what did I do today? That actually was like, oh, that was really fun. Like, I can't believe I, you know, I want to do more of that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what can start the the baby steps of accepting yourself. Of really just identifying what lights you up and what drains you basically. And then the stories that go along with like, well, if something drains you, why are you doing it? What are the stories that are attached to it? Exactly. Or you have a conversation with your mom. (laughs) Those are always great ones, right? And Mm -hmm. so you have a conversation with your mom and she's going on about something. And now you're recognizing that your moods are shifting and you're recognizing that you are starting to go into a place of talking from like, I want to validate, I want to please, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you start to pay attention to the conversations, the words that you're choosing to have? Mm-hmm. And then recognizing like, wait a second, you know, am I doing this again out of ego or am I doing this out of like genuine desire? Mm. That's amazing. That's really good advice. Tap into what brings you joy, what lights you up, what energizes you versus what doesn't. And then ask yourself, what's the story behind this? And it takes time, right? Because someone may be like, well, I do. I love helping people. That It does bring me joy. Okay. But how are you left feeling at the end of the week? What are your goals? What are things that you've always dreamt about, desire to do, but you just never did it because you kept putting everyone else before you. And now you're, you know, looking at where you're at and you're like, wait a second, what about that? And so start paying attention. The the most simple thing you can do is start paying attention to your energy and start paying attention to your words and start paying attention to your moods. And that will inform you because your body, and you know this, your body informs you about how you are feeling about something way before it actually goes to your mind and brain. Yeah. So start tapping into that and that will help you start to really take bite, you know, baby steps and, you know, bite sizes towards reframing that narrative about yourself. Kyle, this has been amazing. So let me ask you one last question as we round out our time together. If I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? I mean, I just think desire. That's just something that really comes up is that you have to desire, you have to choose you. And if you want to really be in that space of healing, every day when you choose to heal, you'll feel a difference because it's your choice, absolutely your choice. And you do not need to play victim. Pyle, thank you so much for this. This has been an amazing conversation. And I feel like I just got through some blocks on my own. So thank you. I love you. Thank you. Love you too. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing. Because healing starts within.